0: Okay, so uh, as a church, we have a a sense at the moment that God is calling us to go deeper with him, Uh, and uh, I I know that God's saying that to me, but I'm pretty sure he's saying it to all of us, that it's a very busy time for us as a church, there's lots going on, and the danger is that our spirituality could become miles wide and just half an inch thick, and that's not God's will for any of us. Uh, and so I'm doing a little series at the moment which is maybe just uh, riffing on some of those themes called more Uh, and uh, what I'm trying to do is to to pick up on some of the places in the teaching of the Apostle Paul where uh, he's urging the people he's writing to to go deeper with God Uh, and so a a little while ago we looked at more love that actually there's more of God's love than we currently know uh, and, and we took that from... Ephesians chapter 3. And then we went to Ephesians chapter 5 and we looked at more power, that actually God's heart for us is that we would be regularly, uh, in an ongoing and continuous way, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and tonight we're looking at more joy uh, and we're going to look at a passage where the Apostle Paul writes to a group of people uh, and, and uh, he, he's talking about joy. Uh, that's available to people who know and love God Uh, and in particular we're going to notice a link between lives that are lived of generosity and and, uh, you know freely giving of what we have uh, and the joy that comes from that so 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we're going to start I'm going to read from verse 1 let me just say before I read just a bit of background Um, the Apostle Paul one of the greatest works of his life is uh, an offering that he takes for for Christians in Jerusalem who are suffering Uh, they're starving to death there's been a famine across the whole of the Judean region and uh, in particular the Christians in Jerusalem are starving to death and so in Acts chapter 11 the church in Antioch uh, sends out Paul and Barnabas and says look just go around as many churches as you can and try and raise as much money as you can so that we can give that to the the elders of the church in Jerusalem and that will feed people who are really in desperate need and so Paul does that he starts to travel around and as he starts to travel around uh, the the Corinthian church the church in Corinth is one of the first churches to say you know we'd love to do that you know, we, we we would love to give generously to the church in, in Jerusalem. We, You know, nothing would be a greater pleasure kind of a thing. And so Paul's like, that is so encouraging, you know, for them to want to do that. And so he goes around to a few other places and he says, you'll never believe it, but the Corinthians, they're really going for it on this offering. And that encourages everyone else to kind of open up their wallets and to go for it, in particular the Macedonian churches, which is churches like... Uh, Thessalonica and and Philippi they start really kind of giving as well and the problem is that when you look later at the Corinthian church they promised so much but they never quite got round to giving what they'd promised and so this letter to Corinthians is in in many ways a letter to them to say look cough up you know you you said that you would give and now make sure that you do so that's kind of where we're going Two Corinthians chapter 8 verse 1 And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here's my judgment about what's best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that, you may, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. And then we're just going to skip down actually just a few paragraphs to chapter 9 verse 6 for a couple of verses. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. Amen. Losing my voice. I had quite a severe bang on the head this afternoon so if I say something that doesn't make any sense that's the cause. Anyway, I'm not even joking. Okay, so, uh, I've loved every season of parenthood. Uh, I've got three children, my wife and I have three children and uh, I recognise that They're yet-to-be teenagers, and that might not be quite so fun. But so far, it's all been pretty fun. Uh, And uh, probably my most favourite season, most favourite stage, was the toddler stage, which they're past now. But I just loved when each child got to the point where they suddenly discovered their legs, you know, and they just started toddling everywhere and waddling everywhere and exploring stuff, and it was like this whole new freedom, and they were making these exuberant noises, and there was glee on their faces. And the, the, the thing that I absolutely loved about that season was the eye contact, because what little toddlers do, and if you've had kids, you'll know this, is that as they're starting to explore their surroundings and toddling around, they've got their faces, their eyes completely locked onto yours because they want to know, is this cool, Dad? You know, is, is where I'm going okay with you? And so they kind of toddle over to the toy box and they're looking across, locked onto my face. Daddy's smiling. That's okay. I'll keep going. I'll pick up a little toy train or something. Is this okay, Dad? You're still smiling toddle back you know still locked on eye contact he's smiling that's good I'll give him a t- oh you really like that okay I'm going to go and do it all over again so he toddles over I just love that you know and um and then they toddle over perhaps to the nappy bin oh dad's not quite so impressed about that what about if I lift up the nappy bin on turn it on its head no he's definitely not keen on that um and so mostly they stopped except for our little girl who just liked to just Oh, you didn't smile that time. What about this time and this time? Just try it several more times. I think that's a picture of uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that, that as we find our legs in faith, as we start to grow into maturity and as we start to experience the freedom that comes with all of that, we want to know God our Father, does that please you? You know, how how do I please you with my life? How do I make sure that my behavior and my motivation and my attitudes and the way that I treat people, God, I want it to please you? In fact, that's what Paul says in Ephesians 5, chapter 8. He says this, live as children of light and find out what pleases the Lord. And in a sense, what, you, what you, you, you see in the writing of Paul is that he's trying to chivvy along, just gently steer these early Christians towards uh, uh, different ways of pleasing God, towards different ways of living under the smile of God. And so you see uh, in Ephesians chapter 5 that we looked at the other time, uh, Paul said, understand what the Lord's will is. Be filled with the Spirit. And uh, the time before that, we looked at how Paul was just urging them to be rooted and established in love. Why? Because that brings a smile to God's face. When we operate on the basis, on the foundation of, I know that I'm loved by God. I know I know that he profoundly and deeply loves me. And what we discover in the passage uh, or two that we've just read is that Paul's steering them towards lives of radical generosity. And he says, listen, God loves a cheerful giver. It's like he's saying, guys, whenever you open up your wallets, whenever you take something that belongs to you and you give it to somebody else, when you see a need or you just want to bless them or encourage them, or you you give to the ministry of the local church or you give to missions, whenever you do that, whenever you take something that's yours and give it away, God says, I love it when you do that. I love it when you do that. It's like he's saying, that's my boy, or that's my girl, that's the family way, sheer generosity. And you see that as well in um, chapter 8, verse 5. He said, it's the will of God. God's desire for us as Christians is that we would live lives of radical and and just free generosity. And so what we're going to look at tonight is five different things that this passage, I think, teaches us about what being generous really means. But let me just say this, first of all, because I want to be totally upfront. I recognise that some cynics here might think, oh, we we know why you're really teaching on generosity, Chuck, because you want the income of the church to go up. And I just want to say, well... Yeah, that is one of the reasons why. Just about once a year, usually once a year, we just take one Sunday, one Sunday out of 52, just to look at what does the Bible teach us about giving and generosity and money and finance and those kinds of things. And the reason we do that is because we face huge faith challenges as a church and the church is growing and the amount of ministry that the church is doing is growing and all of that costs money an increasing amount of money Uh, and what we find is that if we look at what the Bible teaches about giving every now and then actually it encourages all of us just to bring our financial situation before the Lord and and to, to, to ask him what he wants do with that and we find that some people start giving or make a step towards giving or, or perhaps increase their giving as a result uh, and I think that's the right thing to do uh, and for some of us perhaps the response tonight might be to just take one of these standing order forms or the gift aid forms and all of that uh, and perhaps not only respond by asking someone to pray for you but also by saying this is my church this is my place and I want to just look at my giving. However Maybe you're visiting tonight, and this isn't your regular church. Perhaps you're part of another church somewhere else. And I would just want to say, uh, I really hope that us talking about this stuff tonight encourages you and inspires you to uh, go back to the place where you belong, back to your your spiritual family, uh, and to encourage you to uh, give generously there. And also, let me say, there'll be some people here you're not a Christian. Or, or you're not sure if you're a Christian and you're just kind of looking in on us in a sense and just trying to figure out what all of this means. And I, I just want you to know, we have no expectations in this regard of you whatsoever. That's not our concern. Uh, in fact, we just hope that you find it interesting, you know, to see what we as committed Christians believe about uh, generosity and giving and finance and all of that stuff. Hope that you go away thinking, well, that was interesting. I didn't know that before. Okay, but even if the church had no need, perhaps someone, a legacy had come along and just, or a big grant-making trust and they'd pay for everything that the church was ever going to do, I'd still teach on this subject in the same way that I'm going to tonight because I believe that generosity is absolutely key to living as a Christian in today's world. So with all of that said, let's look at... Uh, kind of point number one the first thing that Paul teaches us about generosity and it's this generosity is an overflow of grace verse one chapter eight verse one we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches it's important to recognise that this is actually a passage all about giving. I'm not kind of using an, uh, an obscure passage and just hoping that it's speaking about giving. This passage is all about giving, and yet Paul doesn't mention money or amounts. He steers clear of giving us any rules or laws or guidelines. He doesn't give us any percentages. He doesn't say... Um, listen if everyone in in the Corinthian church was just to give five shekels then that would just about cover the need that we have in Jerusalem he he literally avoids any of that stuff and uh, to be honest wouldn't that have been easier wouldn't it have been easier if Paul had just said well if everyone gives 10% or 20% or 5% of their income then this will be okay but it seems to me that Paul in particular always steers away from anything that looks like a law towards something that's much more life-giving than a law and I think that's because Paul has a very significant understanding of God's grace towards him you know he, he says in 1 Timothy he says I used to be a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man but God's grace has been lavished upon me it's like he fully understands that the only reason that that he's part of the church let alone leading anything in the church is because God by his grace has rescued him And so it's not a massive surprise that when Paul starts to talk about giving, he speaks about giving not in terms of law and achievements, but in terms of God's grace. And it's almost like there's a different economy going here. It's not an economy of pounds, shillings and pence. It's an economy of grace. Grace received and grace given. Um, I was cutting down a tree in our garden a little while ago. I, I, i I was kind of being manly, you know, I'd gone out to the tree in the back garden with an axe and a saw and stuff like that, and I was going out to attack this tree, and, and uh, just as I'd been out there a few minutes, uh, Taryn looked out of the window, and I was just dancing around the garden, and she was like, he's lost his mind, he's absolutely lost the plot, what on earth is he doing that for? Uh, and what she didn't see was that immediately before that moment, I'd caught my hand in between the tree and the fence, and it was really painful, and so I was dancing around the garden. The point is, Paul says... These Macedonians, they're extremely poor and yet they're extremely generous and that doesn't make any sense to anyone if you don't understand the cause, if you don't look upstream to the source of their generosity, which is the grace of God. Um, to be honest, that's my testimony. It's the reason why my wife and I give some of our you know a proportion of our income away is that we understand that God has been extraordinarily kind to us and I'm sure many of us would say the same thing we we um I I I only recognize it now but when I was 15 my life had taken a particularly dark turn and goodness only knows the dark place that I would have ended up if God hadn't rescued me if he hadn't reached into my life and introduced himself to me and then pursued me and then rescued and then rescued me. And I understand that that was the kindness of God. And to be honest, even in the really tough times, I'm sure like many people here, I've experienced times of real grief and loss, like the time when my dad died when I was 22, just quite unexpectedly. It was a horrific shock. But God was so faithful in that time. And He was my only refuge in so many ways. There was a time when, just when we were newly married, my beautiful new wife began to suffer very seriously with depression. And it was like, oh my goodness, this isn't what I expected at all. But God was so kind. And I could just go on and on, just talking about all the kind things that God's done. To me being the kindness of God towards my life but the point is if he's given me so much I don't want to be a constipated Christian I don't want to be all input and no output I want to be the kind of Christian who understands who focuses on the blessing of God and then seeks to allow that blessing to leak out to oh, this is starting to get really <laughs> grim I'll move on Generosity is the overflow of grace. That's the first one. Second one. Generosity is an opportunity available to everyone. Verse 2. You could be forgiven for thinking that generosity is something that rich people can do because they've got money left at the end of the month rather than month left at the end of the money. And you could be forgiven for thinking, you know, I'd, I'd love to be a generous person, but I'm only struggling to make ends meet as it is. The truth is that many of us do struggle, don't we? Money is tight, and we all go through moments where everything happens at once you know the washing machine breaks and the and the car breaks down and there's water pouring through the ceiling and the kids need new shoes and all of that stuff and it all happens on the same day and you're like I, I don't know how I'm going to pay for all of this stuff but I don't think that any of us would say that our financial situation is as bad as the Macedonian churches who in verse 2 it says that this is their situation severe trial and extreme Poverty, and, and the word that's used there to describe extreme poverty is really that. It's like they're scraping the bottom of an empty barrel. They have nothing. And it seems like Paul may have even tried to discourage them from giving because it says that they urgently pleaded with him to be able to give. It's like Paul, even Paul was saying, listen, no one would expect you to give. Everybody knows you don't have anything. This is a daft idea to give. And they're saying, no, we want to give. And I think to be honest um, in the years that I've been teaching on the subject of giving and generosity I think I've been teaching something that's slightly wrong because often I've said something like you know if you're a member of the family here we would really uh, probably if, if this is your place then one of the ways that you would demonstrate that is that you would give financially to the work of this church but if money's tight then please don't worry and actually I think the macedonians example in this passage would teach us that even if money's tight it's still possible to give that actually generosity is something that god enables in our lives let me just say there are probably a couple of examples of situations where that's not the case Uh, one would be if you're married to someone who isn't a christian and you don't share the same convictions about how money works and and the need to be generous and all of that stuff, and probably you have to honour your spouse in that kind of situation. Or if you're in very severe debt, and perhaps somebody else is managing your finances for you or something like that, uh, probably it's not appropriate to start giving away whole chunks of your money. However, for the rest of us, I just want to look at very briefly, you know, lots of us would say, I'd love to be able to give, but if I give, then I'll be short. If I give, then I won't be able to make ends meet. Three quick things. First of all, uh, I think this passage teaches us that we have to decide on what we're going to give away first. You know, often the way that we manage our finances is we say, well, uh, yeah, that's my income, and then I've got to pay the tax man from my income, and then I've got to put perhaps money into a pension from my income, and then uh, I'll, I'll need to pay for my rent or my mortgage, and I need to pay the utility bills and the phone bill and, and my mobile phone bill, and I need to put money in the, you know, to keep my car on the road, and I want to put money aside for a holiday, money aside for Christmas, money aside to buy a new car when that car conks out, and so on and so on, and then it's like, and then, oh, well, to be honest, I would give something away but there isn't anything left or we say there is a little bit left but actually I've just had this unexpected bill come in and the only way I can pay for it is if I pay for it with that money what the Macedonians do in verse 5 is it says this they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us And the implication is that instead of uh, their giving being the last thing that they consider, it's the very first thing. They say, God, here's the money that we have. First of all, God, what what will you allow me to spend on myself and what would you like me to give away? And so it's the very first thing. That's the first thing. Secondly, in response to someone saying... I just think I'd be sure if I started to give or if I gave away any more than I currently do. The second thing is a decision to be generous will certainly impact the way that we live. The truth is that God never asks us to give out of the surplus of our surplus you know if it's possible for me to give regularly to the work of a local church and possible for me to give to a mission one or two missions agencies or different things and and then to give a whole bunch of other stuff away to friends and family or people in the church and for my lifestyle to be completely unaffected by that then I don't think that's generous giving that's just giving out of the loose change that's giving out of the surplus you can see that what these guys are doing, the Macedonians, is that they're giving as much as they were able. It says, and even beyond their ability. It's like something had to give in order for them to give. I like that. It's a nice way of saying that. Anyway, uh, 2 Samuel 24:24 24, 24 says this. King David says, "I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing." And so I think it's really commendable and probably about right some of the conversations that I've heard uh, around the church over the last little while. Somebody saying, you know, actually I, uh, I you know, would buy a couple of lattes a week, perhaps one at Killow, one at Starbucks and I'm, I'm going to make my coffee at home from now on and I'm going to bring my coffee around in a little mug with one of those little lids on and I'm going to give that money that I would have spent on a latte, that's maybe £5 pounds a week I'm going to give that away. And, you know, if you give away £5 a week, that's £250 in a year. a £1,000 over the course of four years. Or, or people are saying, I'm going to cancel my Sky subscription and I'm going to give that money away. That's affecting your lifestyle. I think that's the kind of generosity that Paul has in mind. The other thing is, probably more challenging for many of us, is um, for those of us who earn significant amounts of money to be able to give in such a way as it starts to seriously impact, it starts to seriously bite into the way that we live, probably that means that we're going to be giving away a very significant amount of money and a significant proportion of our income. So for some of us, to be giving generously might mean giving 20 or 30 or even 40% of our money away before we start to really notice that it's gone. Okay, that's the second thing. And lastly, uh, I think for, for people who say, I'd like to be able to give, but I just don't think I can afford to, I think ultimately we have to trust that God is the provider and that he can provide for our needs. And what you see in the teaching of scripture again and again and again is that God is the provider and he promises that when we give away what we sincerely believe God has asked us to give, then he will provide. And um, because I was thinking, is that actually right? I spent several hours just Uh, writing out passage after passage after passage there are dozens of them throughout scripture for for example in in, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 8 uh, it says this God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times having all you need you will abound in every good work so that you can be generous on every occasion and also at the end of the book of Philippians Paul is writing to the Philippian church He have given them this, given him this really generous gift. And he says, that is a, a, such a blessing to God's heart. He says, it's a, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And then he says this, and my God will meet all of your needs. Not all of your wants, but all of your needs according to the riches of his glory. And to be honest with you, that that is that is my testimony and and I've thought long and hard or Taryn and I have thought long and hard about what's appropriate to share because uh, I I know that that Jesus says that your left hand shouldn't know what your right hand's doing and all of that kind of stuff but we do have a testimony of something that God's done in our lives in this whole area that I just feel like it's perhaps okay to share um, in the sense of perhaps demonstrating some kind of leadership in this stuff. Um, Taryn and I have always believed that, that Christians should give a, a significant proportion of their income away uh, and to set that aside and, and to give the majority of that to the local church because the local church is the hope of the world. And so we've always sought to do that. But several times over the last five or six years, we, as a leadership team, we've gone to the whole church and said, there are significant faith challenges ahead or there are particular things that we want to do that we need finance for. Please will you each consider your own giving? And in moments like that, Taryn and I have gone away and we've said we don't want to be hypocrites we don't we don't want to ask other people to do things that we're not willing to do ourselves and so often we've just pushed our giving just a little bit further and and we've always thought oh my goodness we could get ourselves in a bit of a pickle here if, if the Lord doesn't come through but we just believe that God's asking us to just give that little bit more and so several times over the last few years that's what we've done And so when we arrived at the the giving day for the Spreading Life Together vision about two years ago, to be honest with you, we couldn't really figure out how we could give any more. This is uh, uh, the gift day for Spreading Life Together, which was the vision, the uh, the sense of call we have as a church to start new sites uh, all over Aberdeen Shire. Uh, And so in that one day, we needed to raise £446,000 within our church and actually in that one day people gave 441 and pounds which is just extraordinary um, but Taryn and I we we prayed about it and we felt like the Lord gave us a number and so we had this number that we were going to give but we couldn't figure out where it was going to come from and we kept looking down our budget and just thinking how are we actually going to give this money and uh, in the end the only place where we could see that we could give it from was our holiday fund. So every, uh, every, every month we put aside a, a, um, some money that, that over the course of a year mounts up and then we go away somewhere nice in the summer. And we thought, do you know, maybe we could just give that and trust God for that. And, and the worst thing that could happen would be that we could maybe just go and spend time with family over, over the summer instead. And uh, the truth is that, number one, we've never missed a penny of the money that we've given away. Never missed it, not even slightly. Uh, And number two, actually, over the last few years, we've never had to go and spend a summer holiday with any of our family. I I don't know how that works other than God is the provider because I don't know whether it's that money came in from places that we weren't expecting it to come in from or, or... that somehow our money just spread further or, or that we didn't spend money that we might have done because we knew that money was tight. I've known, it's probably all of those things, but I know that our testimony is that you cannot outgive God, that he's faithful, and that if you sincerely believe that God is asking you to give a, a, an amount away to the church or to anyone else, you have to trust that God is able to provide for your needs. And so I, just, I suppose I just want to say if there are people here and you just think I'm just not sure I could give I just would love to encourage you as your pastor to just make a step even it doesn't matter about the numbers but just make a step in that direction and just see what the Lord might do that's the second thing generosity is an opportunity available to everyone I'll speed up now thirdly generosity is a source of enormous joy and I never, I never get this right. I always want to communicate what a thrill it is, what an adventure it is to give. And I always make it sound duller than it ought to, but we'll do our best. Um, you would think that a person who was holding on to stuff and putting money aside for a rainy day would be the happiest, most uh, kind of peace-filled person, wouldn't you? Because they've put aside so much money for a rainy day that it doesn't matter what happens in life, They can just kind of float along above the circumstances. But actually, that's not true. Because the the richest people in the world are not necessarily the happiest people in the world, are they? We know that from the media. We can see that they're not very happy. It seems to me that the happiest people in the world are the most generous people in the world. Um. Look at what the Macedonians experienced when they gave in verse 2. It says, overflowing joy. And the question is, how can that possibly be? You know, if you're giving away, even beyond what you're able to give, which is what it says, how can that possibly be? The answer must be that Jesus was right when he said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. In chapter 9... Paul contrasts two different ways to give. There's one way which is unhealthy giving and he says in verse five it's grudgingly given and in verse six sparingly and in verse seven reluctantly. So grudgingly, sparingly and reluctantly given is unhealthy and it's the kind of giving that kids do when they've got a packet of Maltesers. You know and you just say could I just have one of your Maltesers and they're like let me see how many I've got, you know, and they start counting all the Maltese, and they say, you can have half a Malteser. You can have the little moldy Maltese in the corner of the packet. It's like, that's unhealthy giving. The Macedonians wasn't anything like that. It was cheerful giving. It was willing giving. It was free giving. It was, it was joyful giving. And they experienced, as a result, overflowing joy. Again, many of us would have that testimony, that you would think that the predominant emotions associated with having given away more than is comfortable would be things like anxiety. You know, oh my goodness, how on earth am I going to pay all these bills? Or would be fear about how all of this is going to work out. Or, or would be envy about all the stuff that everyone else has got that you can no longer afford to buy. But actually, so many of us would say that our experience has been exactly the same as overflowing joy. It's joy in knowing that your money has gone all over the world and is rescuing abandoned babies in Kenya or it's building homes for children and families in Vietnam or you know, it's taking assemblies in primary schools all over this area or whatever it is. It's such a joy to know that somebody's become a Christian, somebody became a Christian this Monday, was it this Monday? Anyway, people become Christians in this place all the time and those of us who give financially to this church can say my money helped to facilitate that. It's such a joy. It's also a joy knowing that we're being obedient to God and that we're living under the smile of God, that what we're doing is pleasing God. It's also a joy knowing that we're being freed from the hold that our possessions and our wealth and our money has over us. And it's also the joy in seeing the provision of God that as we give, suddenly we see God provide for us in all kinds of ways that we never expected. So generosity is a source of enormous joy. Also, generosity is an essential part of Christian living, verse 7. The truth is, money has a a very strange place in the Christian discipleship in the Western world today. You know, if I was to say to you, as a Christian maybe you're not a Christian, but if you are a Christian, would you agree that it's a healthy thing to have people in your lives who can hold you to account for stuff? You'd probably say, yeah, I think it is healthy to have someone who can just ask me difficult questions and just keep me on the, you know, the narrow path. And if I was to say, do you think it would be a good idea for them to ask you questions about your marriage, if you're married, or, or your, your relationship, if you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend? and to make sure that you're being a great husband or a great wife or girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, you'd say, no, I think that would be a really good idea. Do you think it would be a good idea for me to, to have someone ask you about what you're looking at on the internet and whether that's healthy? You'd say, Some of you would say, I think that's a really healthy thing. Or, or what my sense of call is or, or what I'm using my gifts for or am I being obedient to God in all kinds of different areas? You'd say, I think that's a great idea. But how many of us have ever said to somebody else, I give you permission to ask me how much I earn or, or have had conversations about what we spend our money on or just allowed someone to look over our monthly budgets. How many of us have done that? Probably very rarely do we do stuff like that. And, and to me, that's indicative of a, a discipleship in the Christian, um, for Christians in the Western world that we, we somehow, we want God to be the Lord of all of our lives, but money is just kind of left out of it somehow. Um, the Apostle Paul, in, to the Corinthians in verse 7, he says in effect, you're doing a really great job. You know, you are, you are doing really well. He says, you excel in everything. In faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us. she he says, you're doing really well. And then he goes on to say, just make sure that you also excel in this grace of giving. It's like, don't leave that out. Don't leave money out of your relationship with God. Include it. Make sure it comes under the Lordship of Christ. Um, hands up if you like Lord of the Rings. Uh, hands up if you prefer the film to the books. Hands up if you prefer the books, the films. Oh, it's quite a clear, books. uh, You must be a bookish crowd. You look like a bookish crowd, to be fair. Uh, That's not meant to be an insult, by the way. Anyway, uh, in The Lord of the Rings, there's this little character called Gollum. And he's a slimy, horrible little creature who lives mainly in the dark. And he gives his whole life to attaining what? This ring this this precious ring that's kind of magic and full of wonderment and beauty and he just he spends his whole life just longing for my precious that's what he calls it my my precious and the question is what are we giving our whole lives to attain what is my precious Because actually abundant life is only found in God, when God is my precious, when his kingdom is what I'm seeking, when his rule and reign over my life is the is the major value, the major goal of my life. And if anything else, if it's a a bigger house or a bigger car that we're seeking to find our life in, then something's gone wrong. Okay, so that's the fourth one, an essential part of Christian living. Finally generosity has to be more than just intention. Paul says to the Corinthians, in effect, you had really great intentions. You know, you, I, I've, told every, he says, I've told everyone else that you are just such a generous group of people because, you know, you, you were the first to give a little bit and also to say, I really want to give. You had great intentions. The problem is, he says, your intentions remained your, as your intentions you never put them into action. Verse 11, he says, now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. And if I could gently just finish with this, you know, my suspicion is that lots of us have been Christians for years and Probably, even though I'd like to think that you know my talks are revolutionary and and that you're all saying I've never heard that before, probably most of us have heard this stuff before. Most of us are aware of what the Bible teaches on the subject of giving, and many of us are, are fairly clear in our understanding of what it is that God asks of us. The problem is, just having an understanding of what God asks for us is not the whole picture. We have to move from having an understanding of this stuff to having an intention with this stuff and then to putting into practice our intentions in action. Maybe for some of us, we just need to say, God, I don't only want to have good intentions. Who was it? William Keene Seymour said this, kindness is in a prison until it finds its release in words and deeds. We have to put it into action let me just finish by saying this like I said right towards the beginning um, I'm not teaching all this stuff only because we you know keen to raise money and all of that actually it's not about what I want from you it's much more about what I want for you that there's a blessing that's available to those of us who give generously there's there's a there's a joy that comes in giving uh, Paul says right at the end of Philippians in the message version he says this I do want you to experience the blessing, the issues from generosity. Let's stand, Shereen.